captain of only one person. And I had a hard time learning that. Uh, I was an okay athlete. I played soccer religiously and hated depending on that one person who would miss the ball, misread the other team, shoot for the moon every shot. I also hated the coach uh, because I thought I was better than he was and so I didn't need to listen to him. And so after the hundredth time of saying, Brian, move to this space, I finally listened to him and the ball came to me. And I realized that while I was trying to make fools of the other team as I dribbled through them, uh, my coach had been watching their tendencies and was able to read where they were going to go. And so the coach actually helped my game and so then I began to listen to him more. Have you ever wondered, uh, have you ever doubted a coach's method to his madness? Maybe with Christianity. Have you ever wondered or doubted God's methods or values? This morning, the disciples do that very thing to Jesus. And we see Jesus' values behind his methods in hopes that we would then follow Jesus more closely and reflect the Savior to whom we are ambassadors. And so we are going through the Gospel of Mark this fall, and we have seen Jesus preach the good news of the kingdom. We've seen him heal the sick and heal the paralyzed and, and even raise the dead. And Jesus had sent out the 12 disciples to share in his mission and not only to associate with him, and now we see the 12 return and then continue ministry with Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 30 through 44 together this morning. And while you're, while you're opening that up, uh, let me encourage you to open up your bulletin so that if you don't have a Bible, uh, you'll see the insert in there has our scripture passage in it so that you're able to, to follow along with what we're going to be reading. And then also inside there at the top of the sermon notes is the uh, sermon, uh, actually is the, the verse of the series that we've been working on. And so we're going to pull those out. We're, we're trying as a church, each sermon series that we're doing to memorize a different part of the Bible that will aid us in our discipleship with Jesus. And so we're memorizing Mark 8, 35 through 36. Here, let me put that on there. Here we go. Mark 8, 35 and 36. Let's read that together as we continue to practice memorizing this. Let's say it together. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for the sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that we would know Jesus' voice, that we would trust his methods, and point others to follow him also. God, would you use Mark 6 in a powerful way this morning in our hearts? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So if there's one thing that we are going to want to highlight this morning, that's this is how we begin to apply part of Mark 6 to our lives. Here's, here's what I think the, the author's big idea is, that if we get nothing else from what we're doing this morning, this is what we walk away with. Following Jesus means knowing his shepherd voice, trusting his methods, and training others to follow him too. 
That's our goal this morning, is that we want to follow Jesus in a way that knows his shepherd voice, trusts his methods, and trains others to follow him also. And so we're going to see this kind of in, in three different parts of Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. So let's read that. I'm going to read it. You can uh, follow along in your Bible or on the passage. And, and here's what Mark writes, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. But they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now when many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they went and found out. They said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Well, let's look uh, at this first part, this rest for the weary that we see in verses 30 through 33. I, I really appreciate Jesus' model of training disciples. Uh, he's been teaching them as they go from town to town. Uh, they are observing him. They're asking questions about parables that he's asking, and he's equipping them. And then Jesus sends them out, uh, not for good. He doesn't send them away forever, but to return to him, to, to report, and then to evaluate what has happened. And so the 12 returned to Jesus, knowing that they had been putting their lives on the line, right? The death of John the Baptist, what we just looked at last week, uh, is always a possibility for those who identify with Jesus. So the disciples uh, have some events to share with Jesus as they return. And now I'm not certain how you think about joining in the mission of Jesus, uh, but I just don't think we can, can add or improve on the model of discipleship and training. The normal ebb and flow of the Christian life shouldn't just simply be church on Sunday morning. The gathering of God's people certainly is part of it but it's not its entirety. The normal flow of the Christian life should be gathering with the assembled body of believers, sharing life of burdens and sorrows and joys in smaller contexts and being sent out into the world, building up the saints from house to house and going out and making disciples who make other disciples. So if you are a Christian, well, that means you are a disciple. 
But our discipleship to Jesus isn't uh, merely an intellectual discipleship, but it's one where we continue to carry the message of the king to bear on the lives of those around us. But we weren't created to do it alone. It's not you and Jesus in ministry. There needs to be a context of reporting and evaluating with one another and then even further equipping of others since someone else has equipped you in the area that you serve. So, so not too long ago, I was at a, a college fair, kind of like the involvement fair at Muskingum. And, and there was a college student who came by our table and, and said that, that, um, uh, that his Christian fellowship included him watching a service online each Sunday morning. I don't think that was actually such a, a random belief. It wasn't like that was an isolated value of someone, but I think it's something becoming more and more prevalent where we can sit in our PJs, sit on our couch, and pop on the tube and watch a service. But brothers and sisters, when that is the extent of our discipleship to Jesus, we have failed to embrace the very mission of Jesus that he has called us to participate in. Who, brothers and sisters, are you equipping to serve the body in the very way that you serve? If you aren't serving, come take part in kingdom work and be a disciple that helps make other disciples. The body together is to build itself up in love and in maturity. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing. He calls the 12 to be part of his mission. You know, I recently read a statistic that 10% of pastors retire as a pastor. Pretty shocking statistic. I think there's a number of factors that go into that, but a large portion is that they burn out. Friends, could it not be in part because they never uh, take a break? because they have also never ever equipped other people to be part of the work of ministry, which is actually the pastor's job. Some people, some people rust out in ministry because they're lazy. Others burn out because they never take a break. Jesus insists that his disciples who are sharing in his mission take a break. Ministry is healthy when there are breaks and seasons and restarts. Jesus understood that. That's why he often went away by himself. And now he instructs his followers to do the same thing after a season of ministry, to to take time, to rest. It wasn't a sin for them to take a brief sabbatical. The greater the demands, the greater our need to find some time alone with Jesus. The passage indicates that the, the disciples were so busy, they had no time even to sit and eat. Right? How often are we like that? where we're stuffing our faces quietly while we're on a conference call so that with the mute button on so no one can hear us open our can of soda. Here's what we know about work and rest. There is a time to work. Laziness is antithetical to the Christian life. We also know that we should have periods of rest because Jesus tells us to. Being a workaholic isn't spiritual and can actually be sinful. We also know that rest is better when accompanied by solitude and companionship. 
We also know that rest is for a specific time. It's not permanent. Uh, We don't see them retiring here. And we also know that even while resting, we need to be prepared for ministry if necessary. Isn't it interesting that for, for the disciples to rest, Jesus doesn't send them out by themselves, but to be alone with one another and with Jesus. It seems like the first prerequisite of discipleship that we saw back in, in Mark chapter 3 was just simply being with Jesus. The life of the disciple is not only mission for Jesus, it's also mission with Jesus. The disciples' service does not eclipse their fellowship with Jesus. Consider maybe if you're using an NIV translation of, of this passage uh, where Jesus says to them in the, in the NIV, he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Even with the busyness of the schedule, the 12 are accountable to Jesus and they need time reflecting with Jesus. Just consider for a moment what would have happened if the disciples hadn't rested and then burned out in their shorter mission. Well, Andrew would not have become the missionary to what is modern-day Georgia or Bulgaria. Bartholomew would have not ended up as a missionary in India. If the disciples had burned out, James, the son of Alphaeus, would not have been a leader in the Jerusalem church. James, the son of Zebedee, would not have been a missionary to Judea. John, the brother of James and son of Zebedee, well, he probably wouldn't have written parts of the New Testament. Or Matthew, remember Levi, uh, who, was, who ended up being a missionary to Iran? If he had burned out, that wouldn't have happened. Or Simon Peter, he would not have gone to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Batania, Italy, Asia. Philip would not have gone to be a missionary in Turkey. Simon the Zealot would not have been the bishop of Jerusalem after James. Thaddeus, the son of James, would not have been a missionary to the Mesopotamian area of Iraq and Syria and Turkey and Iran. Thomas would not have been a missionary to Iran or Afghanistan. None of those things would have happened if the disciples had burned out. Rest and recuperation make ministry happen longer. So brothers and sisters, it is okay for you not to be involved in every ministry here at Friendship Baptist Church. Let me say that again. Brother and sister, it is okay for you not to be involved in every ministry here at Friendship Baptist Church. It's okay to say no sometimes. In fact, if we have people taking a part in every single ministry, That's not applause for these super faithful saints. It's actually a sign that we are not discipling and training others up for the work of ministry. Yes, in small churches, we often have to wear a variety of hats, uh, but not being able to say no means that we need to help each other have balance and margin. Being involved in nine different ministries is is not good. Just as being involved in zero ministries isn't good. There's a reason why many hands make light work. Even seasons of ministry can change. 
Now, the, the overzealous crowds would not leave Jesus alone. They followed Jesus, hoping to see him perform more miraculous cures. So the crowd got to the other side before the boat. Boy, it shows a remarkable intentionality, I think. Uh, they were waiting upon his arrival. They recognized that he was someone special. Well, friends, following Jesus means knowing his shepherd voice, trusting his methods, and training others to follow him too. Let's look at this second part, this sheep needing a shepherd, verses 34 through 40. Right, the time of rest is over. The, the disciples and Jesus are coming back to shore and people are waiting for them. Ministry is literally banging on their door even before they take a step on land. And so despite the much needed rest, Jesus looks upon them with compassion. How do you respond when you get a phone call during your lunch break? How do you like getting a call from work uh, when you are watching your kids' football game? Jesus, he sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. And they're described like sheep without a shepherd. Those who have seen sheep know that without a shepherd, sheep move aimlessly, they wander here and there, they get lost, uh, they're generally paying little heed to the dangers around them. And Jesus' value of them drove his actions toward them. How do you see and value others? Are people just getting in your way like, like flies that you just can't swat away? Are they important to how you treat them? So for example, uh, it was... Fourth of July, this past July, and I'm at the Cambridge Park setting up to watch the fireworks by the baseball field. And uh, the previous Fourth of July, James was born, so we hadn't seen the fireworks here in this area yet. And so I see a bunch of people looking towards the baseball fields, and then there's these two older guys who are just facing away from the baseball fields. And I'm a little bit confused. I'm not sure what they're doing, and, and I, I'm still kind of setting up. And, and then they decide to, to, to light up cigarettes and start blowing smoke right at us. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm annoyed at this point, okay? And so uh, a couple other families are, are, are there to watch fireworks with us. And, and I ask them, well, I ask these two guys, well, which way are the fireworks going to be shot? Because they're facing this way. Everyone else is facing this way. And I'm, I'm just confused. And they say, oh, well, no, the, the fireworks are going to be shot over the baseball field. And I said, well, how come you guys are facing the wrong way? Like, I want, am I missing something, right? Uh, well, their reply with that was, well, with all the pretty ladies around here, the view is far better now to watch them than the empty baseball field. Now I was really annoyed, okay? The very thing lacking in my heart in that moment was compassion. Have you ever realized that sometimes you have zero compassion for others also? Yet, even in my own household, we have a rule that your sister or your brother is more valuable than the toy. And so if one sibling breaks a toy, the toy is not as important as the person. And so we need to stop placing more value on the toy than the person and how we respond. But at the baseball field, I had no compassion for these guys. But Jesus is so not like that. The people were waiting for him the moment he gets off the boat, the moment he puts his foot onto the shore. And instead of valuing his time more than people, 
instead of being annoyed that they are just constantly needing him, Jesus values them above his time and therefore has compassion on them. Friends, how do you see the lost? Because I'm convinced that if we saw people in our village more like sheep who are without a shepherd and less like the people that we just went to school with or we know through work, if we saw people in New Concord like sheep wandering around without a shepherd, friends, I think our hearts would be looking for ways to help them find the good shepherd. Your value of others will be reflected in your treatment of them. Ultimately, Jesus' compassion wasn't to befriend them, but to teach them and to connect them with the truth of God. The same thing is for us. Our goal isn't simply to befriend non-Christians, but to recognize them as sheep without a shepherd and then love them by sharing the truth of Jesus with them. Jesus' expression of his compassion is to teach them. The care they need, first and foremost, is the truth of God from the Son of God. The most loving thing we can do as a church in any ministry that we have is for the gospel to be present at each gathering. Not assumed, but spoken, lived out towards others. We need to see that people have spiritual needs that we should address. In our compassion of people, uh, they are given all but the teaching of the truth of God than, than, than friends, and we have not shepherded them or cared for them well enough. Christian churches cannot do the same as a governmental assistance program and call it ministry. Ministry to people involves the gospel because churches don't exist apart from the gospel. Right? That's why we are here this morning. We exist because we know that we've been created by God in his image. As the pinnacle of his creation, we were created to know him and to love him and to serve him and be in relationship with him. But in our own rebellion, we've rejected God and have wanted nothing to do with him. And we didn't want anything to do with his law or his word guiding our lives. And so we have rebelled against him. The Bible calls that sin and we have incurred death and judgment as a result of our sin. And then instead of just leaving us in that state, forever, eternally separated from God, God in his kindness and in his mercy had compassion upon us because we were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come down to earth to live a perfect life not in rebellion against him like we have, but in perfect in all of his ways. And then walked and became our substitute on the cross for our sins. So that Jesus would take our sin, he would then give us his perfect righteousness by dying on the cross and being on the third day raised from the dead, showing that he has conquered death, defeated sin, and offers new life to all who come to him in repentance and faith. Friends, that's why we exist, is that we were sheep without a shepherd, but now because of Jesus and the gospel, we are no longer without a shepherd. We know the shepherd. And so we gather every Sunday morning to worship the risen shepherd, to worship the risen king, 
the one who calls us to then share in his mission and bring the truth of the kingdom of God to others. Ministry to others must involve the gospel because we don't even exist as a people without the gospel. Jesus had already sent out the 12 apostles to to minister because Jesus had compassion on the needy multitudes. This time, the multitudes are coming to Jesus. And what are his disciples' response? Let's send them away. They had not yet learned to look at life through the eyes of their master. See, to them, the crowds were the problem. Maybe even a nuisance, but to Jesus, they were the sheep without a shepherd. People also have physical needs that we should address if possible. The disciples' solutions to the problem of the people, send them away, let them find their own food, or, or hey, let's raise enough money to buy some bread for everyone. But in verse 37, instead of relieving the crisis, Jesus intensifies it. He looks at his disciples, he goes, you guys give them something to eat. To the minds of the disciples, Oh, this is, a, this is unreasonable. This is an impossible command. There were so many that almost a year's worth of wages wouldn't feed them all. And yet they do exactly as he says, though they can't imagine how it's going to work. And the disciples, they're swept away with the magnitude of the problem. Jesus saw the problem not as a problem, but as an opportunity to trust the Father and glorify his name. So they gather up the food, come up with only five loaves of bread and and two fish, and the people are sitting down in the fifties and the hundreds, and that's simply not even enough food. Five loaves of bread and two fish are enough to feed my family. And yet they do it. Friends, following Jesus means that we know his shepherd voice. We trust his methods and train others to follow him too. Let's look at then the third part, this kingdom banquet that we see in verses 41 through 44. So Jesus gives thanks for the food. He begins breaking apart the bread and the fish among all the people. There's about 5,000 men, not including women and children. So most commentators believe there's between 15 and 20,000 people there. And they all ate until they were satisfied. All of them. Friends, that's significant. The people weren't just good until they got something else more substantial. No, instead, we see that the bread of Jesus satisfies. There were even 12 baskets full of bread and fish left over. Remember, Jesus' miracles, aren't, they're not parlor magic tricks. They're signs pointing to who he is. So with all the confusion from last week, if Jesus is Elijah or John the Baptist or some different prophet or someone else, Jesus still needed to show people that Jesus is not simply a carpenter. He isn't John the Baptist. He isn't Elijah. Jesus is Emmanuel, God in the flesh, come down from heaven to be the good shepherd who brings the wandering sheep to the pasture where we can find forgiveness and rest, and a restored relationship with him. And so in multiplying the loaves and the fish, uh, God did in one moment what he does every day with the corn in the fields and the fish in the sea. Uh, To us, it's a miracle. To, To God, it's just natural. 
Sometimes the feeding of the 5,000 or the 15,000 or whatever number you want to put there. Sometimes uh, this is explained as not a true miracle of Jesus, but really the triumph of sharing on the part of the crowd. They often say, Jesus' selfless spirit inspires an outpouring of generosity from the crowd that suffices for the needs of all. But the problem with that interpretation is that it makes the feeding of the 5,000 into a moralistic story. When each one shares what he or she has, then there's enough for all. And the moral is a good one, but it's not the purpose of this story, nor is it sufficient to explain the feeding of the 5,000 men. Friends, the evidence is clear. There were great crowds with an insufficient means of feeding them. If there were sufficient provisions among the crowd, well, then the disciples' anxiety uh, about the situation uh, would not have made sense. Uh, the provisions would have been broken out long before then. Jesus had been teaching them for a long time. Certainly, I get the munchies after an hour, and so I want a snack. Certainly, other people would do that too. Friends, it's Jesus, not the disciples or the crowd, who meets the need. This feeding of the 5,000 supersedes any human harvest. The massive nature of the miracle reveals the greatness of Jesus. Jesus' greatness is highlighted in our passage. The greatness of Jesus cannot be hidden. Not only is Jesus greater than any who have preceded him, but this shows that the kingdom of God has arrived as evidenced by the kingdom banquet that he's holding. The kingdom of God has come and already the messianic banquet is being tasted. Remember last week when we looked at the death of John the Baptist? We saw another banquet, Herod's banquet. Well, today we see a new type of banquet. At this banquet, Jesus presides over it. It's not inside a fortress or a palace. It's in the open hills of Galilee. And the invitations aren't for the military powerful or for the rich or for the powerful, but for the people. Herod's banquet was to show his power and influence where Jesus' banquet was to minister to the needs of the people and care for people who were without a shepherd. You know, it's interesting. This is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. It's important enough to make certain that each Gospel was included and it was not missed. Friends, we shouldn't miss it either. Jesus, the embodiment of the kingdom of God, has come to be our great shepherd, to have such compassion on us that it doesn't stop with the feeding of some, but Jesus' compassion on us goes all the way to dying in place of sinners, taking on our place on the cross, giving us his righteousness so that we would no longer be sheep without a shepherd, but that Jesus would be our good shepherd. Now as his ambassadors, we are called to share in the mission of Jesus and we're called to point others to the great shepherd of the sheep so that others would know his voice and follow him also. Let us not see a, a problem that we have and send people away from the very source of where life is. 
Friends, following Jesus means that we need to know his shepherd voice. We need to trust his methods, even if we don't fully understand how it's going to work, and ultimately train and point others to follow him too. The truth is, it's never easy to trust someone else's methods, whether it's a coach or whether it's Jesus's. But when we see Jesus's methods reflecting his values, well, friends, we can jump on board and love how he loves. We can serve how he serves. We can follow him closely. I became a better soccer player listening to my coach. And we will be more faithful followers of Jesus if we trust him and listen to him and believe his methods even when it doesn't make sense. And instead of sending people away, pointing people to the very place where life can be found. And the one who sees people without, like sheep without a shepherd who goes and, and becomes their shepherd and has compassion on them and brings them the truth of Jesus so they would no longer be wandering back and forth, no longer be lost, but instead would know the shepherd. Let us follow Jesus in that same way. Let's spend a few moments having heard from God's word, having examined what Jesus has done. Let's spend a few moments responding to God. Uh, you're welcome to come and, and pray at the front of the stage if you'd like, but, but certainly not only those who come forward need to respond to God, everyone who has now heard from God's word needs to respond to him. So let's respond to him uh, individually where we are, and, and um, in a little bit I'll close us in prayer and the band will lead us in another song. Thank you for sending Jesus to have such compassion on us that, that when he sees us, he wouldn't look upon us with contempt or scorn. He wouldn't just be exhausted with how we miss it again. God, thank you that Jesus has compassion and is willing to then bring the truth of the gospel to bear on our lives. God, forgive us for when we see people as less important than our priorities. God, forgive us for not seeing people in the same way that Jesus sees them. God, forgive us for not following you and trusting even your methods. Thinking that we somehow have to outsmart you. Or, or think of, of a modern age way to do things when, God, your word is true still today as it was then. So God, help us to love the way that Jesus loves. Help us to trust your methods. Help us then to follow you and point others to do that same thing. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.